Let us return to Paul's letter to the Galatians and let us pick up where we left off last week. It's in chapter 5, Galatians chapter 5, and we are in the second message of this section of the war within, the war within, beginning in verse 16, Galatians 5, verse 16, and this is God's word. I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. Verse 18, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Our Father, we pray for your blessing upon the proclamation of your word. We pray for the help of your spirit to give us understanding, to lead us into the way of truth, to help us to understand and to help us to believe. We pray that you would take hearts of stone and make them hearts of flesh. You would quicken and give us life and rest upon me as I speak. I pray for the help of your spirit. We pray this by your grace, Father, and for the glory of your name and the good of your people. Amen. You may be seated. So, how are we to live as those that have been set free by the gospel? That's where we're at in Paul's letter to the Galatians. How are we to live as those who are no longer slaves, but now are adopted sons? Remember chapter 4, verse 7. How are we to live as Christians who have been set free from the slavery of sin and the curse and the condemnation of the law? How are we to live as God's free and liberated people? That's where we began last week. In chapter 5 here in verse 13, the apostle told us that as we are to live together as a church, as we are to live in community with one another, we're not to be like verse 15. You remember verse 15? But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. We're not to live with one another. And, and, and the words that he's using here describes wild animals attacking one another, devouring one another. That's what happens if we live in community without love. And we're not to be like, as, he'll eventually, as we'll eventually get there, and that is verse 26, where he picks this up again and says, and let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So how are we to live as Christians who have been set free, who are no longer slaves, but sons? And he tells us we are to love by serving one another, serving one another through love. And we get a hint of this, again, it will pick back up because we are doing this not by our strength and by the flesh, but by the indwelling spirit. We'll get a hint of this in verse 22 where he'll tell us 
But the fruit of the Spirit, and what's the first one? Is love. Is love. And this love will arise, arise within us who are believers in Jesus Christ as the work of God, as the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so now, just as we've heard, there's been a work objectively outside of us because of the, by the gospel, where Christ bore the penalty for our sins. Now Paul has been moving to now this practical section where now we're learning that the work of the gospel also brought about a new heart, the indwelling spirit, and now we're learning that there is the spirit that lives within us and not only has the penalty of sin been dealt with by Christ on the cross, but now we are learning that the very power of indwelling sin has been dealt with and broken because of Christ and the cross, but by the indwelling spirit. And this is the war within. The war within. We're taking that language from verse 17 where he says, and these two, the lust, the conflict between the spirit and the flesh, there's a conflict now. They're in contrary to one another. And notice verse 16. In this first section where we left off last week, the war within, I'm going to remind you, he gave us a command, an imperative, you remember? I say then, what did he tell us to do? Walk in the Spirit. How are we to live as God's people? We are to walk in the Spirit. And this is the Holy Spirit of God. It was a command, if you remember. He is calling us to action it's, a, it's a, an, a, an action that is to be habitual, a continual way that's active, a way of life. And he does it, he's saying it in the plural to the Galatians, to all of us. Walk in the Spirit. And we should understand this language, walking in the Spirit, as language concerning the inward grace of God that now has come to us as believers. It is, the, it is the renewing work of the Holy Spirit. And it's that, that, is, that work of the Spirit that is renewing the whole man, woman, and child. It's, it's, a, it's the work of renovation. We might say that now God has dealt with our sins on the cross, the penalty, the penalty of our sins. Now he's dealing with us as his people inwardly, and dealing with the power of sin within us, this, this thing called flesh or the old man, as Paul will call it in other places. We might say that a renovation is now taking place, a cleaning of the old house to something that's going to be gloriously new in Christ. And it's the whole man, just as the flesh, our, the fallenness of our fallen nature that we have inherited from Adam, touched upon every aspect of our being, this renovation will touch every aspect of our being. The mind, the heart, the will, our affections, they're all being made new in Christ. 
But the ultimate goal that day by day we are being brought into the conformity of Christ-likeness. And this is God's promise from eternity that he would bring us into the conformity of his son. And again, this is all brought about by the grace of God through the gospel, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, the power and dominion of sin. Listen, the the power and the dominion of sin has been put to death. And now in this, what we would call sanctification, we've moved using those theological terms of Paul was saying that we were justified in Christ, declared not guilty. Now, this inward work of sanctification of God renewing us, the power of sin now being broken, there's a twofold, listen to, listen, there's a twofold aspect when we think of this work of sanctification by the Spirit. Now watch this. There is a mortification that is a putting to death, a putting to death of the flesh, of sin. And there is a vivification That is a new life, a new life to walk in holiness and obedience. Some of you recognize that language. A few years ago, some of us in the men's theological read, we read John Owen's book. You remember? The Mortification of Sin. That's where this language comes from. This is the theological language. The putting of death of sin. And then there is in this sanctification, this vivification, this Vivication, this new life to walk in holiness, this new life now to walk in obedience. So with that being said, understand it this way. There is a crucifixion of the old self, the old man. That's the language Paul will use. Remember Galatians 2.20? I have been what with Christ? I've been crucified with Christ. So there's the death of the old man, the old woman, the old self, the flesh. And now we walk in newness of life, which is resurrection life. New life in Christ. And there's an aspect of this that we should understand that has taken place because it's not completed in this life. This war within that we began to describe last week, This war within will stay with us to our last dying breath or until the second coming of Christ. Yes, there is a peace that we have. A peace because we are justified in Christ. But there's also an ongoing war. And as I said last week, anyone who's a true Christian can identify with this. We have peace in our hearts. Our sins are forgiven. We've been given new life in Christ. And yet there is an internal, ongoing war that we all experience. Can you identify with that? Yes. Yes, we can. And with that, the language. Even Luther would use that language, remember? Will simultaneously saint and what? And sinner. We can identify with that, right?
And there's a sense, redemptively, we think of, we think of the, as Christians and as the church, as the people of God, this already not yet. Yeah. I've received redemption in Christ, salvation in Christ, but yet I'm not yet what I will be. But I'm not what I used to be. Right? There is this age and the age to come. We await glory, full renovation, new heavens, new earth, new body, right? Glorified state, right? The penalty of sin's been dealt with, the power of sin's been broken, and one day the very presence of sin will be delivered from. So we, we hear the words of Paul like in 2 Corinthians 5.17. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new what? A creation, new creature, new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. But again, his gracious work in sanctification will not be completed in this life. It will be an ongoing war, an ongoing conflict until the end. And so Paul tells us to walk in the Spirit. To walk in the Spirit. Now notice verse 16. This, he says, if you walk in the Spirit, you shall, see verse 16, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary. These are in opposition. These are in conflict to one another, so that you do not do the things as you wish. We've heard Paul use that kind of language before, haven't we? Romans 7, right? Sounds like Paul in Romans 7. Listen, to walk in the spirit... To walk in the Spirit is to yield to this new life that has come to us through the gospel. It is to, as we sung this morning, to bend the knee, so to speak, of the heart by faith in the soul. It is to bend the knee to Christ and to his word. To walk in the Spirit is to yield to this new life that has come to us by the Spirit, but it's through the gospel. Listen closely. The word of truth, the gospel came to us with power. The power of the Holy Spirit. And he came and he brought new life to us. The Spirit of God came and he applied the blood of Christ to the doorpost of our hearts. And the angel of death passed over, right? Remember what Jesus would say in John 3.36? He who believes in the Son hath everlasting life. And he who does not believe, he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. And it was the Spirit that came and made his habitation in our hearts. Ephesians 1, Paul said in verse 13, In him, in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, 
the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, listen to this, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who, verse 14, is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. The gospel came with power by the Spirit. It came, He came by the Word, and He applied the work of Christ to our hearts. He made us alive in Christ Jesus, and our sins were washed away because of Christ. And the Spirit came and made His home Within us, he, we were sealed with the Spirit. And then here in Galatians, we saw in chapter 4, in chapter 4, verse 6, just one of a number of places where, where Paul began to speak of the Spirit. In chapter 4, verse 6, he says, And because you are sons, because you are sons, not slaves. Remember, he moved us from slaves to sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And there we saw adoption. In the most intimate of terms, we've been brought into the family of God. We have been born again into this new life, into the family and people of God. And the spirit of God lives within us. He's been shed abroad in our hearts. And we cry out, Abba, Father. And again, this is a new covenant distinction. The new covenant of grace in Christ. That now, all true new covenant members, they're marked by the indwelling Spirit. You're marked by the indwelling Spirit. If you have not the Spirit, you're not His. That's what he says in Romans 8. This is the much better aspect of the people of God moving from the old to the new with the new covenant. All covenant members, true members of Christ, are born anew in Christ Jesus. However, now listen, when the Spirit came, when the Spirit came, your fallen nature, though, your flesh, though, it continues to reside, though, within you. And because of that, we have these words of Paul here. We have these words of verse 17. There's now an inward conflict. There's now an inward war. Again, listen to the words. Listen to the description of Paul concerning this inward war. War. Verse 17, for the flesh, the flesh lust against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you, so that you do not do the things that you wish. Our, our confession of faith, and you'll find this language in the, the, the confessions of the Reformation, they use this language here, lifting from verse 17. In fact, you'll find that as the cross-reference underneath that. But when you read sanctification, like in our confession, the second London, it uses the language to describe this sanctification as a continual or irreconcilable war. And that's where we're at. This war within. Now, I want us to 
We've seen this last week and this week, this irreconcilable war within, this conflict within between flesh and spirit. I want us now to begin to advance to verse 19. Some of this we'll touch again, but verse 19, he will begin to list out now the works of the flesh. And there's a series here of um, these categories that he's going to give us, and they will revolve around certain sins, but ultimately, you're going to see as we read through these, ultimately, it's their violations of the first and second table of the law. Sin against God and sin against neighbor. But remember, the flesh is what, think of it this way, the flesh is what we are by natural birth. And to walk in the spirit is what we are by new birth, new life. You remember the flesh? Paul's not talking about our physical bodies there. When he speaks of flesh, like in verse 16, verse 17, verse 19, verse 24 of this chapter, this speaks of our corrupt nature. This speaks of our fallenness. This is what is traditionally known as original sin. And when we use that term original sin, remember, we're not talking about the first sin committed in the garden. Rather, we're talking about the result, the result of the first sin committed by Adam. So this is the result of the fall of our father, Adam, in the garden. And understand, the fall not only placed us all in a state of condemnation as Adam stood as the great federal head and representative for us, Romans 5.12, but we also are recipients of Adam's fallen nature. This fallen or sinful nature is the body of wickedness and sin that pervades, again, the whole man, woman, or child. It is the nature that's been away from God that results in our rebellion to God. This indwelling sin, as we mentioned last week, does not result in disobeying certain commands of God, but it leads us to violate all of the commands of God. Word, thought, and deed, we sin against God. And so here we have the works of the flesh and again, remember, our old nature of the flesh, it, it's inside of us. It's, in one sense, we should say it's hidden, it's unseen, but it will evidence itself by works. If true faith evidence itself by works, the flesh will evidence itself by works. The spirit will evidence itself by fruit. And it will display itself for all to see. And again, Paul is now going to give us a list of a few of these manifestations of the flesh. And again, it's not, a, it's not an exhaustive list. It's not an exhaustive list, as we will see. But we can see what the outward works of the flesh look like. And we all know them personally. We're very intimate with this list to varying degrees. Let's begin to look at the works of the flesh. The first list, beginning of verse 19, revolve around sexual sins. Sexual sins. Now the works of the flesh, they're evident, which are adultery, 
fornication, uncleanness, lewdness. These are sexual sins. This is, uh, you can say clumped together here are not only sexual sins, but every unlawful sexual behavior. Adultery. Fornication. Again, all sorts of sexual sins found in God's word are wrapped up in this language, adultery and fornication. Sins against one's spouse. Sin, uh, sexual sins outside of marriage. Any kind of sexual sin such as pornography or homosexuality. Any unnatural sexual behavior. He, he even uses the word lewdness. Indecency, in other words. So the works of the flesh are evident. They're adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness. All, again, all of this is sexual sins. In verse 20, he moves to how it moves from these sexual sins to idolatry, false religion. Now it's interesting here, this same pattern pops up in Paul's letter to, in Romans chapter 1, doesn't it? You see sexual sins, un, unnatural behavior, that, and then there's idolatry in the mix. He uses two words here in verse 20, in this second list that revolves around false religion. Idolatry and sorcery, he says. So it's false religion, Pagan religion, idol worship, a violation of the first commandment or, and the, or the first table of the law. The second commandment in the first table of the law. And then sorcery. Sorcery. Religion that touches upon the demonic and evil powers. Isn't it interesting in our own falling culture, we're seeing as the culture drifts away from a kind of broad Christendom influence of Christianity upon the culture, it, it, it's not becoming more atheistic, it's becoming more what? Spiritual. Yeah. And the, in the demonic direction, right? The third list. The third list, in verse 20, after he moves from idolatry to sorcery, these, again, these deal with relationships with others, our neighbors. Look at this, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outburst of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies. Verse 21, envy, murders, we'll stop there. And murders. Again, this is, these are sins of the second table of the law. This is not loving neighbor. And the idea of heresies here, notice in some of your Bibles, they translate it as divisions. Heresies in the Bible has to do with divisions. It's like the divisive man in the book of Titus. These are sins where people can, cannot live together in Christian community. They're not living in love as he's been teaching us along the way. It's, a, it's not loving neighbor. There's constant division, division, bickering, 
There's selfish ambitions. He even goes on to murders. Look at the fourth list. It's in verse 21. Drunkenness and revelries. In other words, this is a list around drunkenness. Uh, These are sins of intoxication from drugs or alcohol. Uh, There is uh, revelries. There's this carousing. This has to do with orgies or wild parties. In other words, there was a party spirit of drunkenness and partying in this fourth this fourth list and what it revolves around. So there are the works of the flesh. And then notice his language that he'll he'll use there. Uh, He says, and the like, and the like. That has to do with the entire list. In other words, he, he could have kept on. He's just, it's not an exhaustive list. But again, we see all of these are ultimately categorized in the two tables of the law. Sin against God, sin against neighbor. Not loving God and not loving neighbor. All right. Let me drive home some application here. What we've seen here. Paul has been unmistakably clear that Christians are justified, declared not guilty before the tribunal of God by the grace of God in the giving of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in the gospel, and it's received by faith alone. The great example of that was, it's almost like a thesis statement for the entire letter. If you remember, it was Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. Galatians 2, verse 16 Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Now, with that being said, as he's walked us through that, we have been hearing and learning that the work of justification is outside of us. It's objective, right? It's, it's a work of Christ for us. It's an alien righteousness. It's not of our own. But now Paul's language has shifted, shifted in chapter 5. Now we're hearing of the work of the, the Spirit that's inward, right? So there's been Christ for us, and now we're hearing there's Christ in us. You catching that? There's an objective truth and reality to be believed and to receive. And now there is the truth, an objective truth, but it's inside of us. It's the indwelling spirit, as he has promised in his word, that lives within us. Now there is a subjective thing that's taking place. Sanctification is this inward change. It is the renewal, again, of the inward life. However, listen, this is the heart of what I want to bring out today. Because we're talking about how we wage war. This 
inward conflict, this inward war within us. The shift of our faith is in church. Because one, we think of the outward work of Christ. Now we're thinking of the inward work of the Spirit. Our faith does not shift now from an objective outward truth to now a subjective thing. It is a subjective work in in the sense that it's inside of you, the, the indwelling spirit, using the word to renew you, to transform you. But you do not shift your faith now to some kind of inward searching of the heart, this inward pietistic idea of navel-gazing, thinking all these things, is, is all of this happening inside of you? No. It's still the objective truth of God's word, faith in Christ and in the gospel. What I mean by this? Central to your sanctification is not human regulations that you're going to come up with. We're good at that. We can make a list. As we talked about, checklist Christianity. But it's not ultimately human regulation. It's divine transformation. It's divine transformation. It's the yielding to the Holy Spirit. It's the yielding up to the truth of God's word. The Spirit's words. Where do we find the Spirit's words? It's the word. It's scripture, right? Yeah. When we walk in the Spirit, we are, listen to this, your word is a lamp to my feet and a lamp, a light to my path. That's, that's walking in the Spirit. That's yielding up to the truth of God's word. Again, listen to the language here. 1 Corinthians 1.30 But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption that it is written he who glories let him glory in the Lord or listen to this Hebrews 9:13 for if the blood of bulls and goats and ashes ashes of heifers and sprinkling and the unclean sanctifies for the purifying for the purifying of the flesh how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Now watch this. If you look over in Ephesians, I'm going to give you an example here. Ephesians chapter 1, notice this. In Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 3. Ephesians 1, verse 3. Your sanctification, your growing in the conformity of Christ is according to the predetermined purpose of God in Christ. Look at verse 3 of Ephesians 1. Blessed be be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with, with what? 
Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, where? In Christ. Is sanctification part of that? Yes. Just as he chose us, now look what he says, verse four. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should do what? Be holy and without blame before him in love. You see, as we were saying last week, Christ undertakes our sanctification, our conformity into the image of the Son, our growth in grace, our renewal in Christ Jesus, our growth in holiness. He, he undertakes this sanctification no less than justification for his people. There is death to sin, and now there is new life in Christ. Again, listen to the promise, the language of promise of the new covenant of grace in Christ. Echoed long ago, Jeremiah 31, 33. But this is the new covenant, or this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my law, where? In their minds, and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Listen to Ezekiel eleven nineteen. Then I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within them, and take the stony heart out of the flesh, and give them a heart of flesh. Verse 20, what? That they may walk in my statutes, and keep my judgments, and do them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Let me ask you. As we read those verses, the action is by who? It's Christ, it's God. God is doing this. Again, when you're, as you're in Ephesians, notice chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any should boast. And then verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works which God prepared beforehand that we would what? That we would walk in them. Our, even our sanctification is grounded in God's purpose in Christ and election. You, do you see now, it, just as our justification was accomplished by Christ for us, where the penalty of sin is dealt with, God in the gospel and the coming of the spirit now has brought to us new life in Christ and he is renewing us. He will bring us to glory if we are his. The spirit lives within us. He's renewing heart, mind, will, affections, the whole man. And so again, our faith rests in the gospel, trusting in Christ. Yes, Yielding to the Spirit, obeying the Word. There's a new power now that resides within you because the law has now been written upon your hearts and that now we are to walk in holiness before Him and to Him. Again, this language was promised long ago by the prophets. Paul would even write in, the, in 2 Corinthians, he would say, clearly, Clearly, 2 Corinthians 3, 3, clearly you are an epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink by the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh. That is the heart. There he's talking about the work of the spirit. 
that has renewed us, that has written now the law of God upon our hearts, and by the indwelling spirit, we walk out of this new birth, this new life in Christ Jesus. We pick up here next week. But again, it is Christ who gave himself for us on the cross, who shed his blood, who died in our place, who bore the penalty for our sin, died, was buried. And he rose again and he ascended to heaven and he sent what? His spirit to his people. And now the Spirit of God has been poured out upon us, lives within us. And so as a justified people, now we are a free people that are to walk in the Spirit. As we'll begin to see, not only from the works of the flesh, but from the fruit of the Spirit, as we'll begin to see over the coming days. Again, notice this language here he'll use. Again, if walking in the Spirit speaks of a habitual way of life, of yielding, to the Spirit, and walking in obedience to the Word, notice the language that he'll use in verse 21. Just as I told you in time past that those who practice, there's the language, practice, habitually live, and such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those whose lives perpetually look like the flesh give evidence that they're not in the kingdom. He's talking about like two trees that bear fruit. The fruit that can be seen and evidenced, the fruit of the Spirit, we're going to see in verse 22, will bear itself out. And you can see who's in the kingdom and who's not in the kingdom. So my my beloved brother and sister, yield up to the Spirit that now lives within you. By faith, resting and trusting in the gospel, Embracing the truth of God's word, crying out to God to strengthen you and renew you in Christ and walk by faith, faith in the truth of his word. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Covenant Reformed Baptist Church, Warrenton, Virginia. If you live in Northern Virginia, please join us for worship this Sunday. For more information, please visit us online at covenantrbc.org.